Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones sitting in for Greg Mackling. Hello there, Tristan. Hello. Upcoming this afternoon, we have stuff to give away. We have Rick Springfield tickets to give away. We'll do that likely after the 3 o'clock hour. Yeah, not right now, so hold your horses. Also after 3 o'clock sometime, we're going to be speaking with Skip the Dishes at 3.37. They are now delivering beer and wine in Winnipeg. So we'll have that discussion. We had them on uh, about a month ago to talk about the poutine, the poutine cup, I believe, or not the poutine cup, but the uh, the Canada Day poutine stuff with Smokes Poutinery. So we had them on to talk about that. We got to try all the poutine, and they thought, hey, let's talk to those guys again. So they reached out to us to tell us about that. So we'll do that at 3.37. Uh, but right now, Tristan, oh, and actually, you know, before I forget to mention this as well, after 1.30, we're excited to have a conversation with Alan Cross. Why are we talking yes. Alan Cross? Well, um, both you and I, Brett, despite our little squabbles and our differences in uh, taste of music, both of us were fans of rock music from different eras. Uh, Brett, uh, I think it'd be fair to say that you uh, are a huge into the 90s rock scene. Yes. And I prefer classic rock, so late 60s, early 70s. Um, that's some of the stuff I listened to, I grew up on. But the fact of the matter is, the the thing that's in common with both of those is, number one, it was rock and, like, proper hard rock music. And number two, during both of those eras, it was uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Late 60s, early 70s, rock was huge. And in the 90s as well, especially after, uh, you know, Nirvana released Nevermind and the grunge scene erupted and then alternative rock, it was huge on the charts in Canada and in the U.S. Yep. And... I look at the charts nowadays and not a single rock song there. So where did rock music go? What happened to it that it fell off the, the, the pop charts, so to speak? So Alan Cross, the host of the ongoing history of new music, will join us after 1.30. But right now, I want to tell you about a story that happened in Edmonton. This is, And you can see the story at globalnews.ca. Bride, groom, caught up in downtown Edmonton bar room brawl quote the most absurd thing i've ever seen in my life end quote is how a witness described a barroom brawl at a downtown edmonton drinking establishment over the weekend matt machado told global news he was with two friends at a place called denizen hall when a bizarre fight involving a bride a groom and a wedding party broke out at around 10 o'clock saturday night it was just the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen in my life Had there not been a photo of it, nobody would believe us that this story actually took place. Machado says the wedding party had only been at Denison Hall for maybe 10, 15 minutes when all hell broke loose. Quote, all of a sudden, like a Wild West movie, the saloon doors just explode open and bodies just fall everywhere. He says, watching through the window as a fight spilled out into the street. The groom or the best man or whoever is in a headlock by security. The bride is on top just swinging away. There's people trying to break it up. There's people trying to get into it, and it's just carnage, end quote. Machado and his friends took photos of the incident's aftermath and tweeted them out in posts that were shared widely. And in some of these pictures, you see the bride on her special night in handcuffs being spoken to by a police officer who has a notepad in front of him. And Machado also took video of the scene after security restrained a person who appeared to be the bride. Police confirmed to Global News they were called to a disturbance at a bar near Rogers Place. Once again, this is in Edmonton. For a fight reportedly involving a wedding party. 
No injuries were reported, and Global News could not confirm if charges have been laid. But Machado says, here's the bri- this bride and groom, probably just been married a couple hours, and they're just in this big, giant bar fight. It is unknown what started. The, the this fight. is one of the strangest things to see, a photo of you know, the bride in her wedding dress, looks lovely, and handcuffed. But it, it, it's one of the strangest things you will ever see. And Brett, we've already actually had a listener text us with a wedding story. And again, 204-780-6868. What are some of the craziest things you've ever seen happen at a wedding? We would, some- we would love to hear your feedback on that. 204-780-6868. And it doesn't necessarily, maybe it doesn't necessarily even have to be the wedding. It could be the social, you know, in Manitoba, there's so much mm. that goes into the wedding. A lot of stuff. I actually have a funny story about uh, social that I can share in a moment here. But uh, Tristan, why don't you read this text message? Because this is kind of a, <laughs> this is a classic. We've heard many variations of this and this is uh, one of the all times. Oh, and it's still amazing. Uh, so someone here says, I'm not going to give out names right on. But a groom found out that the bride was cheating on him with his best man. Mm. He went through with the ceremony and waited till the speeches to call them out in front of everyone. And the bride's family was paying for everything. Yeah, that's uh, that's an ouchie. Wow. Yeah, this is a kind I've heard very many variations of this story. I've heard uh, there's uh, an urban, I don't know if it's an urban myth or whatever, but it's the where the, the groom actually went to the extent of, of putting fi- photographs of the bride and uh, whatever member of the wedding party it was underneath everybody's chair. And he did this during the speeches. He called it out in front of everybody. So he went through with it just to stick her and the family with the bill. So I think that a lot of that kind of, re- there's a lot of revenge sort of things happening at weddings. 204-780-6868. Wow. What is the strangest thing that you have ever seen at a wedding? And it doesn't necessarily have to be insane like this. I mean, this is a story of a bride and a groom that gets stuck in a barroom brawl, but maybe it was just something a little simple. Like I went to a wedding once and uh, the best man was the guy's brother. And I won't be naming names either. But he gets up and he says, "I don't, uh, I don't really, uh, I'm not really good at speeches. So here's to you. Let's get drunk. <laughs> Shortened <laughs> to the point and very effective. <laughs> okay, right on, man. So that's good. Uh, we got a traffic tip here as well to stay off McGilvery. Apparently, traffic is so bad. So stay off McGilvery. Not sure which direction that is, but uh, we have been alerted that McGilvery traffic situation is not particularly good. You know, Brett, I'm just thinking of of the weddings that I've been to, and uh, I can't really... Now, I haven't been to a ton of them, mind you, but most of them have been fairly traditional, very lovely, very special for sure, but none of them have been uh, ridiculously crazy or absurd or anything along those lines that I can think of. They were all fairly normal, really, when you look at them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Most of them are civilized, but maybe John's got a story here about a wedding oh. social. John, hey, what do you? What happened at this social you attended? Well, I was uh, doing security at this social, and it was like just a regular wedding social, and every, everything was okay, but so towards the end of the night when uh, the bride's brother tried to steal the, the wedding money, the presentation gift, and then all hell broke loose and it was family versus family and <laughs> so this was so hang on a second john so this is a wedding social 
but but they were accepting presentation gifts at the social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing all the presentation stuff, and you know everybody was thanking everybody, and then they had envelopes all full of money and all that stuff, and and then when the the bride's brother tried to steal the the presentation money, all hell broke loose, and it was family versus family. And at that that that, that time, me and the rest of the security could only keep the staff and a few people like behind the bars and just away from all the big fights. So did you just have to kind of let them let them fight? Yeah. There was nothing we could do. Like, I mean, there was only about, like, six security and about 70 people fighting. Oh, my God. So the whole wow. place erupted. Like, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, did, and it was family blaming family for trying to steal the money. Did, did you guys uh, at all call police or call emergency oh, yeah, crews? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The police, the, police, the police showed up. There was probably about maybe 16 cop cars in the parking lot towards the end of the night. Can, um, can you identify... Can you identify which, uh, maybe not necessarily the hall, but uh, which corner of the city this was in? Oh, it was on the corner of Logan and McPhillips. There was, used to be a there used to be a big bar there at the time, and this was a long time ago. And they and somebody had rented the whole bar for a wedding, wedding reception, social type thing after the event happened. Did anybody get hurt? You know what? I, I didn't see any ambulances in the parking lot, and I think everybody just dispersed. I think there was a lot of. Okay. Hey, John. Thanks for painting that picture. I'm wow. Just, I'm just picturing. Were there were there any like uh, like grandmothers getting into the action? Well, no. Like we, there was there was there was we were trying to keep more people away and keep people safe. But there was like a group about maybe sixty to seventy people actually fighting that would that wouldn't stop. Wow. That's and fun. the rest of the people we were just keeping behind a bar and just keeping away from the fight. Okay, John. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's a great story. How do you? So I, I'm I'm trying to put myself in the position of John mm-hmm. and the other security guards there. Yeah. How do you not, uh, for lack of a, a better expression, uh, you know, seek a change of underwear after that? Because I would not. Like, I don't know if I could handle a situation like that where you've got 70 people brawling and I'm the security guard with, you know, well, maybe my polo shirt, and that's about it I've got in terms of defenses. Well, it sounds like John uh, had it un- had the situation under control, and the security guards just said, hey, what, are we, what can we do? We can't stop this, so yeah. we'll just keep the people who we can keep safe in a secure location. Yeah, good for you, John. Mark is on the line at 204-780-6868. Mark, I understand you have a wedding story. I do. Uh, my friend's wedding, uh, we were in the back of the uh, altar and uh, ready to go on, about a minute to go. And a uh, buddy who has got long hair and a ponytail, he had a quell sticking up, and he couldn't get rid of it. So uh, another friend of ours told me to grab him, and I held him, and he grabbed, uh, there was some kind of uh, shears that you do, like for uh, your uh, bushes. Oh, no. And he did a homemade haircut right there, and the priest was just kind of eyeballing us, like couldn't believe what we were doing. And the friend that had the long hair, he was very precious about it. He was just tripping out. Was that. was he the groom? Uh, no, he wasn't the groom. He's one of the groom's men, but he he didn't like people touching his hair, and we had to get rid of this quell. It just wasn't doing anything. But we couldn't get rid of it, so just buddy grabbed those shears and shaved it off his head, and away we went. Oh my god! That just laughed his head off. Said, "I've never seen anything like it." He actually made a comment about it after the uh, service. So, how long ago was this? Oh, that's about twenty-five years ago. Really? Yeah. Where was the ceremony? Uh, out of town. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> did he did he keep the the long hair after that, or did he cut it off? I'm not even sure, but I am sure he should have. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, thanks for sharing. That's a great story, Mark. I appreciate okay, it. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We're curious to know about your, whether they're, they're wild stories or bizarre stories or whatever stories about weddings. This is in relation to how a bride and a groom got caught up in a barroom brawl in downtown Edmonton over the weekend. Pictures of a bride in handcuffs being interviewed by when, by police officers. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Gatlin, stand by. We're going to get to you next. We have to have a look at your forecast, though, which is coming up next. It's uh, Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling, along with Brett McGarry on this Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. <And laughs> that squeaky chair making a guest appearance. By the way, you got a text from Simon here who says, I'm starting a GoFundMe page uh, to fundraise for a new chair for you guys. I hate that squeaky thing. <laughs> Simon, I think I will contribute to that. Go- we get the idea, Brett. Thank you. I'm just making a point. Yeah, no, you've made the point very well. Right. Also saying a little bit of share while the microphone was off for a few seconds. That was horrifying. So thank you, Simon. Appreciate it. And yeah, well, yeah I'll probably contribute a little bit to uh, that GoFundMe page as well. We are talking about wedding stories after we read this article that you can find at globalnews.ca, a story out of Edmonton where a bride and groom got caught up in a downtown bar room brawl. Gatlin has been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868. So we will start with you. What is your story, Gatlin? Uh, well, mine's not nearly as extreme, but uh, I was at a wedding, a close friend of mine. The wedding itself was awesome, but the there was a guest there that he, I remember him t- talking about it afterwards. He was actually really upset that this guy even showed up. But he brought his sister, and they got really drunk and, like, ended up getting in some crazy fight, and they were trying to leave. So everyone was kind of standing by the doors trying to prevent them from going because they were hammered, right? So we had the cops on the phone, and we told the guy, like, you know, they're they're coming. Like, don't get in your vehicle. You know, you're going to get a DUI. And he didn't care, and he ended up bursting through the crowd and got in his car. And sure enough, we like a block away. We saw him get pulled over and got a DUI. Really? (laughs) Yeah, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen at a wedding. Other than that, the wedding itself was awesome. It almost got ruined, but it was right at the right at the end. So, but it sounds like but this yeah. guy got his comeuppance. Oh, he did. Yeah, he got it. He got the the book thrown on him apparently. So, and I, okay. I, I this, the next part, I wasn't sure if it was true, but apparently his sister or girlfriend. I'm pretty sure it was his sister, but she had driven away as well, and she apparently got one too. <laughs> <laughs> that that I, I that was just kind of hearsay a couple months later. That I didn't know for sure, but uh, we saw with like I, with me and my wife were watching the guy get pulled over and it's like, wow, what an idiot! Well, that's karma. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you sharing the story, Gallon. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, have a good day, guys. You too. Ian is up next at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hey, Ian, what's your story? Oh, this goes back about thirty years. I've I'm a wedding photographer. I've done lots of weddings here in Winnipeg, and I uh, was at the bride's home or wherever she was dressing, taking photographs of her and her bridesmaids getting ready. And this was big hair, you know, the big hair days. Ah. And uh, spraying, spraying, spraying. And as they're spraying, the, the bride decided, well, I'm going to light a cigarette. Oh, no. Oh, no. And when the fireball went out, her head was blistered. They uh, took her to the doctor. They, they were able to get in right away because she was in her wedding gown. Uh she had all kinds of salves and creams on it to dull the pain. And uh, an aunt had a wig that she put on her. But you have to remember, this was before Photoshop. Right. Very little we could do, but we got through the day. Did you get a picture of her hair going up in flames? I was I was actually turning my head when I saw her starting to light up, and the word no was coming out of my mouth as the, as it ignited. No, I didn't get it. No. Oh. But... <laughs> 
the smell I can still remember. Well, you painted a wonderful picture, Ian, so thank you very much for sharing that story. Hopefully that bride can look back on that now with uh, a little bit of fondness instead of anger. I hope so. All right. Thanks a lot, Ian. we got time for Jim at 204-780-6868. Hey, Jim, what's your story? Well, I'm going back 45 years, and I got married in a small town outside of Winnipeg, about 150 miles from my hometown, and... uh, my school buddies, uh, one was my best man, two were ushers, and one was the photographer. And we'd had a, a, a couple of adult beverages, but the uh, photographer, uh, and I was living in Edmonton in those days, and I was looking forward to the pictures, which never showed up because the photographer uh he had i guess one too many adult beverage and he uh, forgot to put a film in the camera oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez but the marriage lasted as long as that so it was fine okay well, oh man that's brutal well hey thanks for sharing the story no, I jim brett i i am uh, otis the cat's dad you'll know i otis the cat yeah that's our cat I know that uh, Brett likes cats. I th- have you sent me pictures of Otis the cat? Uh, we will. That sounds familiar. Okay, hey, thanks, Jim. I appreciate it very much. I'll just quickly read this text as well. Here's one for you. During speeches, one guest was heckling my best man's speech. Then turns out they wrote us a check for presentation for $20 for both of them. I knew they couldn't afford much, but with open bar and great food to go along with the evening. And then the check was post-dated, and it bounced. A <laughs> couple of barbarians. Wow. Thanks for sharing that at 204-780-6868. We are going to move on from this, and after Global News at 1.30, we want to know what happened to rock music. We know it's still out there, but why is it not on the popular charts anymore? We'll speak with Alan Cross, host of the ongoing History of New Music, after Global News at 1.30. This is Tristan and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Forgot to play that this week. The timing, though, I think worked out very well. My forgetfulness served us well. You can let that play. Please turn that back up a little bit there, uh, Savannah. Now, Um, this is classic rock. This is rock music. This is the stuff that I'm really into. But I know, Brett, the era of rock music that you're into is different of course yeah I'm, i was a fan of the 90s rock stuff like uh well like this for example this is machine head by bush or as you might remember bush x as they were known in canada for a few years remember that no i don't oh so i never really followed them oh we know well there's a guy in the air who knows exactly what that was all about his name is alan cross he is host of the ongoing history of new music which you can hear on our sister station down the hall or i guess brother station however you want to call it Mm. power 97 alan cross joins us live thank you alan uh before we actually tackle our topic can you just quickly educate tristan about the bush versus bush x thing Oh, yes. It was Bush when they came out of the U.K., but then they came to Canada. They realized there was a Bush from the early 1970s that held dibs to the name. They temporarily became Bush X for a number of albums, and then they worked out a deal with the old Canadian Bush and just became plain Bush. 
There you go, Tristan. Oh, well, that's interesting to know. Yeah. Well, and and we should explain to our audience. So the reason we've got Alan Cross on the air is Alan is just an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to music. And, um, you know, Brett and I have been discussing this, both of us fans of rock, different eras. But the fact of the matter is, in the late 60s and early 70s, the classic rock era, that was huge on the on radio and huge on the charts. Uh, when Brett, in Brett's time with the 90s rock, especially post-Nirvana, huge on the charts. It was big. And we took a look at the Billboard Hot 100, and I haven't listened to most of those songs, frankly, but I could not see a single rock song on there. And, I mean, there was some country on there, maybe a bit of indie stuff, but hardly indie rock, like not even Foster the People, which I would qualify as, as indie rock, certainly. And, you know, Alan, myself, and Brett, we would love to know how is it that this dominant force, rock which was supreme for decades and decades, where has it gone? Well, you're looking at the top 100, which is basically what we used to call top 40. And right now, top 40 is completely dominated by pop music, by hip hop and rap. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that streaming has become the domain of this music. And when they're assembling the charts, the top 100 charts, they look at all the people who are streaming uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Google, Deezer, and whatever. And there is, uh, if you look at that, <laughs> people aren't streaming rock. They're streaming pop, hip-hop, and R&B. And that data filters through, and that's, that explains why the charts are the way they are. But it has been a while, really, since... Like, when was the last time rock was uh, was king, to, to put it simply like that? Uh, probably middle, uh, the middle aughts, 2005, 2006, 2007. Then, here's what we have to look at. And I, I'm going to give you guys some hope at the end of all this. Rock tends to be big when there is a Republican in the White House and when there's a conservative... Prime Minister at 10 Downing Street, or when things are really, really weird in the world. This goes all the way back to Eisenhower in the 1950s. You look at when there's a Republican in the White House, that's when the most exciting music comes out. When there's a Democrat, people seem to be you know, a little bit more relaxed about life and aren't as angry and therefore aren't reaching for their electric guitars. We had eight years of Barack Obama coinciding with the uh, end of the rock era, uh, the last rock era, which is 2007-2008, and we went into a very long pop phase. We had, you know, Justin Bieber and Drake and The Weeknd and all these really easy-to-digest pop songs and R&B songs. But now we have Donald Trump in the White House, and we're starting to see a shift in the attitudes of young people. There was a survey that came out just a little while ago that says that songs in the top 40 are getting slower and more dark in terms of their chord structure, in terms of their keys. So now we're beginning to see the uncertainty, the fear, the confusion that is coming with the Trump presidency bubble its way through society and up into the music that reflects what's going on in the society at the time. And not only do we have Donald Trump, we have Brexit. We have terrorism every second week. We have North Korea. We have the Chinese that are rattling sabers in the South China Sea. We have concerns about things like uh, 
uh, the, the widening gap between rich and poor. We have Black Lives Matter. We have white supremacists. We have um, the, the pressures and the weirdness of social media. So a lot of young people, and young people are the people who drive the music business, they're not feeling as happy, as dancey, as poppy as they have been over the last little while because the world is not happy or dancey or poppy. And we're beginning to see a shift towards preferences that reflect how people are feeling, and they're not feeling as good as they were a year ago. Alan Cross is our guest. He is the host of the ongoing history of new music. You can hear that on Power 97. And Alan, uh, first of all, we want to make sure that we're not suggesting that they're, that rock and roll it doesn't exist. We know it's out there. We know oh, yeah. there's still a lot of great rock music. All you got to do is turn on Power 97 to hear it. It's just not at the top of the charts. You you just referenced how young people's attitudes are shifting. And I'm, you, we've also seen other trends in recent years, like vinyl, for example, is has been enjoying a resurgence in recent years. And things like high-resolution audio. So is it safe to, maybe not safe to assume, but safe to hope that maybe the next thing that decides to make a resurgence is rock music well rock is going to have uh its day in the sun again but it's never going to be what it was in the 70s and 80s rock has entered what i call its jazz period jazz was the social driver through the teens the 20s the 30s and the 40s everything in society in terms of music was driven by jazz music then along came rock and roll and superseded it and uh beginning in the 1990s Hip-hop and rap comes along, and that is now the cultural driver. I mean, rock is in second place. There's nothing wrong with being in second place, and there's nothing wrong with with uh, what's happening with rock right now. It's not dead. It's not dying. But the primary driver, the genres that are in the in, in the driver's seat when it comes to cultural change and, and, and the zeitgeist of, of culture when it comes to music, is hip-hop and rap. So that's just the way it is, and, and we're going to have to deal with it. However... It will ebb and flow, uh, and it will continue to, um, uh, like rock, like I said, it's going to continue to see a renaissance as this large demographic, this large group of young people, Generation Z, Generation Y, uh, become of age and start wanting music that's got maybe a little bit more substance to it, something that's a little more angry, something that's a little bit more aggressive, something that reflects their fears and wants and anxieties and demands. So it's it's to everything there is a season. And we have said that rock has, has died, you know, many, many times. I remember in the in the seventies we were talking about the death of rock because disco was going to take over. Well, that didn't happen, did it? No, no, not at all. And and you know, Alan, I um I, I looked at uh, some of the pop charts from the early nineties, specifically nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety one, and um, one of the comments that I've heard from a lot of people, even people who, who are more into pop music, is they're kind of tired. I feel as if there's a sense of being tired of what's popular nowadays, and there's a, a lack of enthusiasm there. Um, I mean, I can even think of as recently as 2008, 2009. I was never a big fan of Lady Gaga, but every time she released a song or a video, people were excited. And I feel yeah. as if it's been a few years since we've had that artist to come by and really energize uh, you know, the, the masses, if you will. Are we in for a Nirvana-type moment where some band that comes right out of left field from a garage and, you know, let's use Winnipeg as an example, 
where they might come by and simply, you know, give a kick in the arse to the pop charts and suddenly a few years from now we're looking at a totally different landscape. Is it possible we could be coming up to a moment like that? Sure, it is possible. But first of all, music has to get so bad that somebody somewhere has to pick up a guitar and say, right, I'm going to fix everything myself. And one of the things that we are seeing with today's pop music is that it's very much, a lot of it sounds the same. There's, there's a reason it sounds the same. First of all, there are a couple of producers, for example, Max Martin out of Sweden, who is, has his fingers in dozens of hit pop tunes as a writer and producer. Uh, from all the big stars, and he's got a formula that he follows, and it stands to reason that after a while, not only are, is, are we going to get tired of his stuff, but we're also going to get tired of the stuff that emulates what Max Barton is doing. Same thing with Dr. Luke, very big, very successful producer and songwriter. We're just getting really, really tired of those formulas, so that's one thing. The other thing is that... Um, in the early 80s, or sorry, in the early 90s, again, we had a demographic shift. We moved away from the baby boomers and their classic rock of the 70s and 80s and into Generation X, who wanted something new and fresh. And uh, they voted with, you know, their feet. They, they, this is the music that they wanted to go see. This is the music that they wanted to buy. And it's very possible that we're, we're just getting completely bored with what's out there right now because it sounds so much the same. Another thing that's happening, by the way, is uh, because top uh, because pop music is leading the way on streaming music services, uh, the record labels and composers are looking at what it takes to hold somebody's attention when an unfamiliar song comes on, say, Spotify. There's a remarkable number of people, I think it's something like 30%, that will skip an unfamiliar song within its first five seconds. So the goal has become to keep somebody's attention for 31 seconds, at least 31 seconds on Spotify, because it's after the 32nd mark that you get paid for the stream. So the fundamental part of the fundamental nature of songwriting is changing. You're putting the chorus up first. You're putting uh, you're having shorter intros. You're having more hooks in the first 30 seconds. Anything to keep you listening for the first uh, for, for that first bit, so the artist and the producer and the composers can get paid. That's another thing that's making a lot of songs sound the same. It just comes on very very quickly. And it's kind of like eating candy. The first couple of bites taste great, but after a while, it's just like too sweet. I have noticed, Alan, in recent years, um, especially with Top 40 Pop Music, where they, they open a song that is uh, that starts with a chorus. There's one that, that, uh, that haunts my dream still is uh, Wide Awake by Katy Perry. That yeah. uh, where it just starts off with the, her saying she's wide awake in the chorus, and then it goes into it, and uh, and uh, that that I don't like it. I don't. I, I I I would like them to go back to the the traditional way of writing a song where it builds and, up to the chorus. And who do you think was behind that song? Max Martin, of course. He's a smart guy, though. I mean, yeah. he's behind the the the, the oh. Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears, if if memory serves. He is a, and, and many, many, many others. He is a very smart, formulaic, mathematical um, student of songwriting. He knows what, what works. And as a result, his studio in, in, in Sweden is constantly busy, him and his uh, posse of songwriters and producers. And, uh, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money from that. 
Alan, just hang on one second. got to check our forecast. Alan Cross is our guest. He is the host of the Ongoing History of New Music. You can hear it at 11 o'clock on Sundays on Power 97. It's 11 p.m., but you can also find the Ongoing History of New Music on YouTube. You can get information on that on Power 97. We'll have a look at your forecast and continue the chat about rock music. What has happened to it, and when is it coming back to the mainstream charts? We'll do that after your forecast. Up next. Fred McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. That is a Conline crush led by Verdon Manitoba. Boy, Trevor Hurst. And we're talking about the fact that Tristan liked music from the 60s and 70s in terms of rock music. That was mainstream charting music. I was a fan of 90s rock. Of course, Canadian rock in the 1990s was gigantic. A Conline crush. One of those bands, I don't think they were... They were, they were one of the kind of middle-of-the-road ones as far as success goes in this country. But uh, Tristan, I know you've got many questions for our guest. Alan Cross, host of the ongoing history of new music, which you can hear Sunday nights on Power 97. Now, Alan, I know we you know, lament, uh, or at least I lament anyway, the lack of rock music in, in the charts. But one of the interesting things I find is that, uh, I mean, I'll just say earlier this year, I went to go see Sam Roberts, sold out, went to go see the Arkells, absolutely sold out. I know bands like the Sheepdogs, they keep having success across the country. We saw the outpouring for the Tragically Hip. So in spite of the fact that rock isn't on the charts, Canadian rock bands, I may not be those top tier, uh, you know, draws, more like the Oconaline Crush, uh, middle of the road type groups, they're still quite successful. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on why is it that those bands have seen so much success and yet we can't get anything on the charts? Uh, well, the charts that you're looking at are American charts, too. Mm. So that's uh, The Billboard Top 100 is, is almost exclusively American. There is a Top 100 chart in, in Canada, and it's a slightly different than what we see in the U.S., but it's still mostly pop, hip-hop, and R&B. Um, you, music has become so terribly fragmented that there are charts for everything now. If you were to look at, there, there's a Canadian rock chart, for example, and uh, all these bands are doing extremely well. Nobody's selling records like they used to. Uh, let's, let's be you know, very honest about that. A band like Our Lady Peace back in the 90s, they would release an album and it would sell 20,000 copies week after week after week. Now it's very rare that an album hits number one and sells 20,000 copies in one and only one week. So uh, I wouldn't panic too much about the charts because that's only the way that people keep score when it comes to sales and radio play and streams uh, and downloads. What really counts now is how many people show up to a gig. Even a band like Guns N' Roses, for example, uh, they went on tour or they're still on tour, and uh, they made about 45 Four million dollars in 2016. Wow! Of that, of that 44 million dollars, would you like to guess how much money they made from sales of of selling their music, albums, and downloads? And so on? I have the number. You want to guess? One million dollars. Six hundred and sixty-two thousand. Wow! Oof. That's all from albums like Appetite for Destruction and Use Your Illusion, and all they made six hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars on sales, even though they were touring around the world in front of sold-out crowds. That tells you what the music industry is like. Even Beyonce, her last tour, uh, she seventy-five percent of of her income is coming from from live. So that's where it really counts. How many people are coming to see the shows? You can maybe, if you want, 
look at things like YouTube views and Spotify streams and a, and a few other things. But the real metric now is how popular is the band when they come to town. We got a text here that says, guys, I think it's as simple as new rock music just isn't very good anymore in comparison to classic rock. Is that why, Alan, that the that that modern rock music doesn't quite capture the the mainstream imagination like it once did, or is it just because our attitudes have shifted to like more disposable forms of music? Well, we got to be really, really careful because uh, everybody believes that the music of their youth is the greatest music of all time. That's just a biological. <laughs> that's just a biological thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this with older music, and when I say older music, I'm talking about stuff from. Uh, the 60s and 70s and, and maybe the 80s. Remember that this is still when rock was young, when rock was fresh, and all the good riffs and all the good melodies were still up for grabs. It's a little harder now for you to be original because so many have been there before you. It's it's why you listen to a song and go, hey, wait a second, that, that sounds awfully familiar. That, I, I've heard this before, and you probably have, because we've only got so many notes on our scale. We've only, there's only so many ways that we can put them together in a pleasing fashion, and there are only so many ways that we can put these notes on our scale in a, in a, in, together in a pleasing fashion that sounds like rock. So, yeah, uh, it's very possible that today's music in general isn't as original as it was in the old days, and that's because it can't be. Alan, where can people find you on the uh, the internet social medias, as I like to call them? I suggest you check me out at a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. That's my website. I update it every day. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. Alan Cross, thank you so much for the insight. We always appreciate the access very much, sir. Take care. Very welcome. Alan Cross is the host of the ongoing history of new music, which you can hear on Power 97 on Sunday nights at 11 o'clock. Tristan, I'm sorry. I know we could have gone another half hour. Oh, absolutely. Hour, but, uh, uh, yeah, could have gone forever, but we have other things to talk about. And uh, again, always great having Alan Cross on. He really is an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to the music world. Just want to very quickly acknowledge Ryan, who has been texting us uh, about metal. And uh, I realize that metal, I'll just quickly, I mean, there was a time where metal was, I mean, look at Metallica, look at how much success they had in the mainstream. So it's not that, I know metal continues to live on just like rock music continues to live on. Just in terms of, we're, we're just talking about the mainstream charts, top of the charts, the Hot 100, whatever, as far as just the mainstream pop charts go. They're the times where Tristan liked the music in the 60s and 70s, and when I was big into rock was in the 90s. They were just as popular as anything else out there, Mm -hmm. and that's no longer the case. So that's why I wanted to dig in to hear what Alan Cross has to say. After 2 o'clock, we're going to switch gears from rock to NAFTA. After Tristan delivers Global News at 2 o'clock. Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling, along with... Brett McGarry. And joining us in studio, we have Jonathan Allward, Director of Provincial Affairs for Manitoba at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Uh, One of the big ongoing stories is the renegotiation of NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement. And uh, we had uh, Chuck Davidson from the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce in not too long ago discussing this. And... um, you know, we, this is one of those things where a lot of people tend to glaze over when they hear the words NAFTA, but it really is important to Manitoba and to a lot of Manitoba businesses. So we heard from uh, Chuck Davidson earlier, but before we really de- uh, uh, dive into this, uh, John, 
be interested in getting your thoughts. Why should Manitobans care about what's happening when it comes to the NAFTA renegotiations? Well, look, I appreciate everyone having me on here. And, you know, to, to echo your sentiment, it, it is critically important to small businesses in Manitoba and all across the country, uh, whether in agriculture, manufacturing, really everywhere in between. Many small businesses in Manitoba rely on trade south of our border to keep their costs low for customers and certainly to keep their businesses growing. And it's very important to remember that small business owners are, are concerned about any possible changes to NAFTA um, because they could have a significant impact on their ability to sell goods and services abroad and certainly on their cost of importing goods and therefore also on their ability to pass along those savings to, to customers. So we've heard from many, many small business owners in a survey and, and for phone calls every day, um, and they're just echoing those concerns um, about uh, the potential impacts that this could have in a negative light, but certainly also the opportunity that this could have to strengthen trade south of the border. Indeed, nearly one-third, uh, 28% of Canadian small businesses that trade with the U.S. and or Mexico say that uh, the potential renegotiation could alter their export and import plans. So I guess when it comes to uh, these small and medium-sized businesses who would have to shift their export and import plans, did you get any feedback from them in this survey that you did where they indicated that this could result in the, the closure of their businesses? Well, certainly a lot of small business owners rely on trade to increase, uh, you know, their demand and, and certainly for them to uh, be able to supply that. Now, that said, you know, the changes can can come uh, be significant or, or small and everywhere in between. And certainly they're really concerned that those are going to be significant impacts and that they're going to have to look elsewhere. You know, we're, we were very pleased that the federal government uh, not not too long ago signed the Canadian-European uh, Free Trade Agreement. And, and that's a great step. But... We, we believe that there's uh, opportunity to improve NAFTA and and uh, make it more likely that small businesses in Manitoba and all across the country are going to be succeed and not have to worry about uh, about the uh, uh, failing and the al- alternate uh, option. And, um, you know, the uncertainty right now, to your point, though, it really makes it difficult for small business owners to plan for their future. Um, and that challenges growth. And, and really what, what we've seen is... The uncertainty and and the uncertainty about growth um, is because so many uh, small businesses in Manitoba and across the country rely on um, uh, foreign demand for their products to be able to sell them. And if you look at uh, our business barometer that we put out every month, and and right now Manitoba is uh, doing really well in terms of business optimism, but if you look at what things limit sales and production growth for businesses – Insufficient domestic demand here in Canada is the number one limitation on growth. And that's why, really, it's important to look south of the border, to look uh, to NAFTA and look to other free trade agreements to uh, to keep businesses strong and growing. One of the surprising things that I learned uh, when I was you know, researching the NAFTA renegotiation, because I think the... Um, I don't know if the stereotype would be the appropriate word to use for this, but, you know, when I think of our exporters, I think of large manufacturing firms. I think of the big companies like Canadian National and Canadian Pacific. You know, that's that's, that's the stuff that comes to mind. But what, what was surprising to me is to learn how many small business, how many of these, you know, small firms that have 100 employees or less export and rely on the U.S., many of them here in Winnipeg. And it, it's kind of you, you don't realize how much the little guy really contributes to the to Manitoba's economy and subsequently to the services provided here and in the U.S. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a common misconception that I hear uh, too, but it couldn't be further from the truth. If, if you look at Manitoba in terms of uh, how many of the private sector businesses are made up of small business owners, and it's over 95%. And if you look across the country, over 90% of small businesses are the ones doing trade with the United States, as an example. Um, and because of that, we're, we're asking for a few things, uh, not surprisingly, to see in these agreements. We've been very involved uh, in our recommendations and with the federal government on this. But we'd like to really see a small business chapter dedicated in the new free trade agreement specifically to address the challenges and needs faced by small businesses who are doing trade. And there was a similar piece uh, included uh, when they were developing the, the TPP agreement, but we would certainly like to see this included. And it's not on the federal um, priority list right now, but that's one thing we'd, we would obviously love to see added. What other sort of recommendations are you making here? I see that uh, CFIB has made a number of recommendations as far as uh, things to be considered on the renegotiation of NAFTA. Yeah, certainly. And and a, f- a few of them, as I mentioned, are, are in line with what the, the, the federal government is, including um, the movement of labor, making sure that there's a free, fro- uh, free flow of labor between um, countries. And, and obviously, that's very important to, to a lot of small businesses here. Um, uh, reducing red tape and really those non-tariff related barriers, um, reducing the administrative burden for small businesses um, that are involved in trade, and, and certainly um, improving procurement um, you know, the whole made in Manitoba mindset, making sure that can, uh, Canadian firms can have access to that as well is obviously very important. But in terms of other things that we've highlighted that a little different from the federal government, I'm looking at transportation indi- uh, issues, making sure that trucks can get across the borders as quickly as possible, um, reinstate, uh, reemphasizing the importance of, of keeping everything duty free and really strengthening dispute resolution mechanisms, making sure that um, we're improving our dispute uh, resolution mechanisms so that there's equal treatment for all the parties and really a guarantee that all members of the agreement are going to be respected in final decisions. Uh, uh, so we've seen the first round of NAFTA renegotiations uh, kind of wrap up and the next round doesn't start until September in Mexico. What are your thoughts so far, John, on on what we've seen and what have you heard from small businesses? Optimism on what we've heard or is it still too early to tell? Well, I, I think in no small part it's too early to tell, but it, it's encouraging to see that uh, apparently the the, agree, uh, the negotiations have have been going well and they're positive. But I don't uh, want to want to underemphasize uh, how important it is to address the uncertainty that a lot of small businesses are facing over uh, these potential changes. And really, what we'd like to see uh, is uh, as much of an open dialogue as possible, share the information, share the progress, so business owners can plan and adjust accordingly to how the negotiations are going. Jonathan Allward is our guest. He is the Director of Provincial Affairs for Manitoba at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And Jonathan, if we just sort of shift away from NAFTA for a moment, you mean as far as small businesses go, small, medium-sized businesses, that's one of the things that we like to talk about on this particular show, Mackling mm-hmm. and McGarry. We often speak to uh, entrepreneurs who run small businesses. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, and maybe it's just because I'm now paying attention, a little bit closer attention since I've been doing this this job, but it seems to me just from walking around on whatever street you're on, there's there seems to be more new businesses opening and uh, a lot of things that we've never really seen before. Is the the community, or maybe not the community, but is the um, the climate for small business, has it improved in Winnipeg from where you and your organization is sitting? 
Well, that's a really good question, and I'm, I'm glad to certainly see that you're seeing that out on the streets. We do a monthly business barometer that measures business optimism, and it measures a bunch of other metrics, including um, staffing intentions, um, barriers to, to doing business, and really the overall state of business health. And actually, right now, for this past month in July, we're at a five-year high in Manitoba, and it's very, very encouraging. Um, you know, we think that this is in no small part because of a lot of the positive changes that the provincial government has been making. Uh, for example, signing on to, um, you know, free trade agreements like the New West Partnership and now the Canadian Free Trade Agreement, uh, taking big steps to become uh, national leaders in reducing red tape, uh, indexing in- uh, personal income debt tax brackets and the basic personal exemption, um, bringing forward balanced budget legislation, pooled registered pension plans, uh, among other things. But I don't want to understate how there are a lot of changes coming at other levels of government that are that are quite concerning to small business owners. And there's really a cloud hanging uh, over business optimism, I think, across the country. And changes like, um, you know, next year seeing an EI increase, uh, seven years following that seeing increases to Canada pension plan premiums. Uh, on top of that, we're looking at the potential carbon tax that would show um, increasing taxes for the next five years beginning uh, in 2018. And, uh, you know, a new issue that's really emerged that's very, very concerning to a lot of small business owners, I'm getting calls every single day, is about potential changes to the federal tax system. And that could uh, affect income sprinkling, which is really something that a lot of uh, small businesses and family-run businesses rely on, uh, and changing rules to passive versus active um, income and investments. And we've heard concerns from uh, small family-run businesses all the way up to um, uh, you know, larger ones, and they're saying the same thing. These are very, very concerning to um, to the way they can invest, the way they save, and really the way um, they're able to operate and stay competitive. We have, uh, I know for sure, we have a lot of small business owners and small businesses listening to this program. Uh, Jonathan, if they have any questions or any issues they want to bring up with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, what's the best way uh, to reach you or to reach the organization? Well, I appreciate that. You can reach out to us uh, by email at msman at cfib.ca. Uh, you can certainly give us a call at the office too. We're, we're, always, uh, we're always eager to, to chat and you can always check out our, our website at cfib.ca. Um, you can stay up to date on, on not only the big issues impacting small businesses all across the province and the country, but certainly a lot of great tools to help small businesses grow. And that's really what we're set up to do, um, whether it be business resource help and counseling or a lot of privilege programs that we offer. Uh, everything we do is to help small businesses succeed. Jonathan Allward has been our guest. He is the Director of Provincial Affairs for Manitoba at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. We started the chat talking about NAFTA and what small businesses are looking for, and we just sort of moved into a general discussion about small business in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, guys. Your forecast is coming up next. Brent McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones. It's another 90s rock song, one of my favorite, if not my favorite 90s rock song. I don't really know why. To The Offspring, it's from their album Smash. Mm. I know it wasn't their, one of the two biggest hits, Come Out and Play, was one of them. Self-Esteem was easily the biggest hit. But uh, Gotta Get Away, this is, that's the name of this tune, was, it was a number one song, at the very least in Canada. I do remember it reaching the top of the Much Music Top 30 countdown. So... I often wonder how much that had to do or has to do with what people listen to. And I can't really comment on that anymore because I don't go out of my way to watch much music. 
partly because I think they they stopped playing music videos a long time ago. <laughs> so like MTV, like, is that still music television anymore? Yeah, but they, 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 they've sort of branched off and most of what they do is online and what have you. But in the, in the 1990s when I was, and Alan Cross m- mentioned this, when we had our discussion last half hour with Alan Cross, the host of his, or the ongoing history of new music host, you can hear that on Power 97 uh, at 11 o'clock on Sundays. He said, the music you listen to in your youth is biologically your favorite music. And I've heard, I think the numbers are either from your years when you were 16 to 24 or 18 to 24. That's the music you will love and adore for the rest of your life. So in my case, that just happens to coincide with music from 1995 through to about 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. But it also happened to coincide, I think, with one of the better periods of rock music in the last 50 years. Like you pointed out, Nirvana kind of triggered the yeah. the avalanche of rock music in the 90s. That was right around 93. That was 91. 90, the Nevermind, was 91. Okay, yeah, wow. Nevermind was released in 91, and then that was followed by, um, I, I know Pearl Jam was that year too, and U2 had... Uh, uh, one of their albums released in 1991 as well. That's right. Um, and then Metallica had 1991 as well, the Black Album. And following Nirvana, then you had the grunge Seattle scene there. You had um, uh, uh, Pearl Jam and then Alice in Chains. And uh, uh, I don't Sound, know. If, Soundgarden. Soundgarden, they, they were part of that? Okay. Um, they were around prior to that, but right. I think that Nirvana sort of shone the spotlight on everybody. Right. And, and, you know, it's, as again, as someone who who loves rock music, who loves classic rock, and that is something I grew up listening to a lot of classic rock and a lot of Canadian rock as well. Sam Roberts is one of my all-time favorite uh, musicians, bands, artists, whatever you want to call them, and I grew up listening to that along with you know the Beatles and Zeppelin, uh, Rolling Stones, and you know subsequently later on Rush and Iron Maiden, some of the classic rock and metal out there, and you know I it's. Uh, it's it's kind of disheartening and, and and Alan Cross made a great point. You know, you can't just look at the Hot 100 Billboard charts for Canada, for US, wherever. You can't just look at those and and you, you, there's no rock on there. Well, that's only one way of going about it because earlier this year when I went to go see the Arkells and when I went to go see Sam Roberts, two very prominent Canadian bands and Tragically Hip, you know, we know how much uh, an outpouring of love there was for them. You know, those Canadian rock bands are still doing quite well on the local stage. They sell out shows. So, you know, is rock dead? No, I don't think so. It's just changed. But I do get the feeling that I, I feel as if we are reaching a point where people are sick and tired of what's happening in the pop charts nowadays. And you see that in record sales too, Brett, because I believe, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it was the first year ever where old music, cataloged music, outsold music from that year really it was the and this was 2015 or 2016 i don't remember but it was very recently where the catalog music from i think 2005 and earlier outsold music from the last decade now when we're talking about outsold that that could be the key word outsold because right. as alan cross was pointing out a lot of the the data that is being funneled into how they map out the chart is by streaming mm-hmm. i don't remember the last time i purchased a song I pay Google Music $10 a month or whatever it is for unlimited access to their library. And I know that Google isn't the, the cool kid on the block. Spotify is the, mm-hmm. the cool kid. But uh, although I think Spotify allows you to download music now too. Like not download music, but you can download your playlist to your phone so that you can listen to it when you're offline or whatever. You don't want to chew up your data. Right. But uh, I pay 9 bucks a month for, or 10 bucks a month for that. 
So I don't remember. The, but if I want to buy an album, which I think, if memory serves from what you were looking at yesterday, Nirvana's Nevermind is still on the hot 200. Nirvana's, the, yeah, Nirvana's Nevermind is it's kind of towards the bottom. It's still on there. Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd is still on there. On there. Sergeant Pepper. Uh, the Beatles classic album is still on there. It's actually fairly high in there, too. You look in there, uh, the uh, greatest hits for a lot of artists, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, uh, CCR, um, Elton John, a lot of those classic artists, their greatest hits albums are still on the Billboard 200. Uh, Mothership, Led Zeppelin, that kind of greatest hits compilation album is still on there, has been there for weeks and weeks. And we look at the music landscape nowadays, and my opinion, although other people may disagree, I don't think... When you look at the last, next few years, if you were to sit here 30 years from now, I don't think a lot of the music, the, a lot of albums released recently will still be on those charts. And I think it's a real testament to the quality or to the legacy of those artists that Nirvana is still on there, Pink yeah. Floyd is still on there, the Beatles are still on there. I think that really says a lot about the power and the influence those artists had and the quality as well. And two, and just one final thought here. I think, as well, what's what's probably happening is there's so much choice out there now that it doesn't matter if it's on the chart. You know, Ryan has been texting us that metal is alive and well on this uh, this music mm-hmm. festival that is held in Germany in a place called Wacken. This the festival is called Wacken in being held in Wacken. I had to very quickly look that up. He says it's the largest open air metal festival. I mean, these things are all still alive and well. They're just not the mainstream top of the charts kind of thing like they were in the 90s like when bands like bush would play at the mtv video music awards when uh uh, or the 60s and 70s anyway we could go on but we can't because tristan's got to go read the news yeah 2 30 is coming up next brett mcgarry with tristan field jones in for greg mackling for today and then tomorrow and then on thursday friday hal anderson will be in for greg mackling joining me live on 680 cjob last week we learned that provincial NDP leadership candidate Steve Ashton made a campaign-style promise to make first-year tuition free for university and college students. Charging tuitions for education is wrong. So that got us thinking here at 680 CJOB. Why not talk to someone in a place where tuition is, in fact, free? Let's go to Norway, shall we? Asse Gornitska is Professor of Political Science and Vice Rector for Research and Internationalization at the University of Oslo. Asse, how does tuition work at the University of Oslo? Well, I think I'd like to start by by telling you a little bit about the Norwegian higher education system, because um, I don't want to bore you too much with details about this, but this is a basically a public public system, public higher education system with eight public universities and a number of state colleges as well, and only a very few of private institutions. So the University of Oslo is, uh, is the oldest uh, you know, public university in, in, uh, in Norway, and in that sense, that kind of sets the standard for, for, for the role of tuition fees. So uh, the, the institutions are publicly funded, and, uh, and that also concerns the University of Oslo. So, uh, in a sense, uh, in general, students do not pay tuition fees for higher education in in the Norwegian system. When you say that there are a number of public universities, does that imply that there are private universities as well? There are a few private institutions. Uh, The major one is uh, is the private business school, and that business school does charge tuition fees. So that's uh, one element in the system, but the overall... Uh, the the the, um, the main institutions are are public uh, institutions, uh, colleges or uh, 
state colleges or, or universities. So uh, how does um, the tuition work? It is free for, uh, well, maybe not so much free, but it is. there's little to no tuition for everyone, including international students? Yes. Uh, this applies to, to, to all uh, categories of students. And this is just to go straight for, for, uh, for the... Uh, for the um, in the Nordic context, um, in, uh, no tuition fee has been the main main policy for for several decades. And uh, but the, the question now is begin is concerns the uh, the um, tuition fees for um, international students, especially students outside uh, the European Union and the uh, and the EEA area. So in that sense, uh, this this question has come up in the Nordic context. And, uh, and Finland, uh, Denmark, and Sweden have opted for recently opted for introducing student fees for tuition fees for uh, for international students outside Europe, and also students that are not part of a, a formal exchange program. So, uh, in that sense, this this uh, no tuition fee, which has been the hallmark of Nordic higher education, has been under some pressure uh, in the recent years. Why is tuition free in the Nordic countries? You mentioned it's the hallmark of Nordic countries. So, why has it been like this for several decades? I think you have to look into the uh, to the role of, of, uh, of and the perception of higher education in within the context of a Nordic welfare state idea that you have. Uh, a welfare state where the state provides, uh, you have entitlements to, to welfare, welfare goods, and higher education has been seen as a, as a common good rather than as a private good. So, uh, so it's, and it's not family-oriented welfare state model where the, where the, uh, where the um, benefits, social benefits goes to the family, but, uh, and it's not needs-based. So it doesn't depend uh, on on your parental uh, your parents' income. So in that sense, uh, the, the welfare state model kind of um, sets the tone for for uh, having tuition free uh, higher education. So it's been important for as part of um, um, social social policy uh, have access to higher education as a as a as a common good. For, for in the Nordic context, so it's it's a strong tradition of of no tuition fee. You mentioned that uh, the system has been under some pressure lately. Uh, what is happening uh, when it comes to to that aspect of it, and uh, where is that pressure coming from? Well, there's been in general in the Norwegian context, at least, there's been broad political consensus concerning. Uh, um, no tuition fees for in higher edu- public higher education, but recently there's been some movement uh, that concerns uh, the question. Simply put, uh, why should the Norwegian state pay for uh, for uh, higher education for uh, for international students when they uh, in their home country would have to pay uh, tuition fees? So in that sense, uh, that's uh, one aspect that's under pressure. And also the way that the, the other Nordic countries have introduced tuition fees for international students um, may put also the Norwegian system under pressure because uh, then there's been some talk that then uh, the, that uh, students would choose uh, to, to come to Norway and study for free. And that would overburden the system. That hasn't happened so far. So, uh, but the, the the issue has come up, and also in connection with the recent elections that are coming up in, in, 
for, for the Norwegian parliament uh, in September. How does the Norwegian state afford to pay for everyone's tuition? <laughs> well, it's... Uh, as you know, the, uh, the public, uh, the public sector, and the public income has. Uh, um, uh, it's it's a wealthy, it's a wealth, wealthy nation, but it's also at times when when the, the there was no oil, oil money, uh, we also had the policy of no in, uh, tuition fees. So in that sense, it's been a politically prioritized uh, policy. So uh, in, in that sense, uh, but it also puts a lot of pressure on the public, uh, on the public budget, since uh, there has been this access policy has been tremendously successful with uh, with uh, all, um, practically 50% of the uh, t- taking higher education. The expansion of the of the higher education uh, provision has been uh, tremendous and extremely su- successful in many ways. I understand that Norway has a high cost of living. Does this uh, does the fact that the tuition is uh, publicly funded, does that have anything to do with the high cost of living? No, I shouldn't think so. I, there might be a connection, but I uh, uh, I, I actually don't know. But uh, I, um, in addition to the uh, to no t- tuition fee policy, there is also a uh, um, public uh, support system for students. And that's quite different from, uh, from the way that... Uh, uh, other other systems um, um, are, are running in, in the sense that uh, it's the, the individual students and not the parents that are expected to to support um, uh, support your way through the uh, higher education studies. So in that sense, it's not uh, the choice to take higher education is not your parents' choice, but it's your own choice since you will then be entitled to, to public support in addition to not paying tuition fees. So in that sense, it really sets, sets a strong message uh, to, to uh, young, young people to, to, uh, to enter into higher education. Ase Gornitska is Professor of Political Science and Vice Rector for Research and Internationalization at the University of Oslo. And we're talking about how Norway has free tuition for a university. We were having this discussion because provincial NDP leadership candidate Steve Ashton wants to make first-year tuition free for university and college students. So, Ase, are there any other European countries outside of Scandinavia that offer free tuition? Oh, yes. Uh, in Germany, for instance, they tried to introduce uh, um, tuition fees, but that was uh, uh, deemed un- unconstitutional, I think. So they uh, are also in Sweden and uh, Denmark and, uh, uh, and, and Finland. There is still no, there are no tuition fees for uh, domestic and European EU students. So in that sense, the bulk of the of, of the of the higher education system in in the Scandinavian countries uh, is still um, without tuition fees. So that's a kind of a kind of uh, a strong. Uh, there are several countries in Europe where they have uh, no uh, no tuition fees, and and also the the level of tuition fees in those countries, like in the Netherlands, where they have, do have tuition fees, but it's fairly low compared to the to the most expensive institutions, for instance, in in Great Britain. Uh, and I guess uh, uh, would be curious to know in terms of public reception, you mentioned that it's a tradition in Nordic countries. Is there any public pressure to change that, to look at introducing tuition, or is that something that's simply off the table? Mm, 
With the exception, I think in the in the Norwegian case, with the exception of the introduction, the issue that's been raised concerning international students, I think that the principle of free uh, free uh, or no tuition fee higher education uh, is 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 very strong in the in the in the popular mind. So I think still this political consensus uh, concerning no tuition fee is 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 in place. But uh, you, what, will the, uh, what the future will bring, uh, we don't know. Uh, in systems where, that, uh, where the pu um, public money and public budgets are uh, under strong pressure, there might be uh, some movement also when it comes to, 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 to tuition fees. But, uh, but so far, I can only speak for the Norwegian system, uh, the, the, the basic, well, the value attached to having no tuition fee is still... Uh, is still uh, very much emphasised by by the basically the whole spectrum of the political landscape. What would a foreign student have to do, for example, a student from Canada? What would a Canadian student have to do to apply and uh, come over to Norway to take advantage of this system? Oh, well, they would have to. Uh, there is a uh, um, there is a public system that will uh, help you uh, in order to apply for. Uh, for uh, access to Norwegian higher education, that's quite uh, quite easy to uh, to uh, to to do. So uh, as uh, as long as you qualify academically, then uh, you would have, have a good chance of uh, entering higher education in Norwegian uh, free higher education. Ase Gornitska is her name. She is professor of political science and vice rector for research and internationalization at the University of Oslo. And we, we have been speaking with Ase because tuition is free for universities and college. It's free in Norway, uh, unless you go to some sort of a private institution, but their public institutions are free. And the reason why we had this discussion is because NDP leadership candidate Steve Ashton has made a campaign-style promise to make first-year tuition free for university and college students. Why? Once again, because... Charging tuitions for education is wrong. We got a text here at 204-780-6868. And you can feel free to weigh in on this at that number. You can call us at 204-780-6868 or you can text. And it says, this text says, comes at a huge cost, making Nordic countries almost unaffordable to live in. And there, that is an interesting point, Tristan, because this uh, chart here that's sort of, uh, it's just, a, it's a little, it's called the Complete University Guide that, mm -hmm. you, that you printed off for us. It talks about how, Yes, it's free in Norway, but it can be expensive to be in Norway. And they, they rattle off some costs because they say Norway has a high cost of living. We did ask Asse about it, if maybe the, the fact that tuition is free, is that contributing to the high cost of living? She kind of blew it off. But just listen to some of these numbers here, Tristan. Yeah. So this is a typical cost in Norway. Going back to uh, March 2015. Oh, and it's listed in, in British pounds. Hang on a second here. To GBP, uh, one Canadian dollar equals 0.62 British pounds. Okay, so uh, an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment for rent, averages 624 to 802 pounds. So if you look at that, if if they go for, oh my goodness, that's up for that's just under 1,300 bucks a month for a one-bedroom apartment. Average rent in Norway on the high end. On the high end, the uh, the one, low end. One bedroom apartment, by the way. I think that's worth emphasizing. Yeah. One bedroom. 
And 624 British pounds is $1,000 Canadian, just over 1000 bucks. So there, that's uh, one apartment. An inexpensive meal at a restaurant is 12 British pounds. So 12 British pounds. About to, 18 or 19 bucks? Yeah, $19. So they, they, they point out here that a lot of times students will go to a neighboring country to get food, to get alcohol, because it is cheaper. Because the meal at McDonald's, eight British pounds. So that's that's going to be... 12, 13 bucks at least. Yep. Uh, domestic beer, six British pounds. So yeah, British uh, Norway generally considered uh, an expensive place to live. And they the residents will frequently travel, not just students, but residents in general will frequently travel to neighboring countries to buy cheaper food and alcohol. So if you have any thoughts, 204-780-6868. We did have to let her go, so we didn't get into everything. Uh, for example, somebody just texted us to say, ask what they pay in taxes. Nothing is free. And that's a great question. We didn't just simply run out of time with her. But if you have any thoughts on this, 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It's the number to text. You can email Tristan at cjob.com or me, Brett, at cjob.com. Your forecast is up next. Tristan Field-Jones in for Greg Mackling along with Brett McGarry on this Tuesday afternoon, afternoon, pardon me, um, we're tra- talking about uh, how uh, in Norway they have free tuition for their universities and their post-secondary uh, education. And uh, the professor in political science at the University of Oslo that we spoke to, uh, she mentioned that it's part of the Nordic tradition. And uh, we're getting a couple texts here, Brad, from people regarding what do you think about the idea of free tuition? And NDP leadership candidate Steve Ashton suggested making the first year university free. A few people here are saying, uh, uh, we have one uh, listener here saying, the free first year of education will incentivize young people out of high school to screw around for a year, taking away spots from serious people while costing taxpayers money. Bad idea. Have uh, Chris here saying, how about we stop all the cuts to primary and secondary education before we make post-secondary education free? Start putting money back into our education system from the beginning. So mixed reception to the idea of giving a, a first year of tuition free. And we spoke to, uh, when we went to Norway to ask them about how it works there and how a lot of the Nordic countries do have free tuition that might be a great thing if you're a university student, but Brett did, uh, Brett did some quick math, and uh, a typical one-bedroom apartment in Norway can cost upwards of $1,000 a month in rent, typically, uh, in $1,000 Canadian, if you choose to move there. And, and everything else seems to be far more expensive in those Nordic countries, not to mention when it comes to their taxes. Uh, but you could also argue if you made university free, if you made... Uh, the tuition, or if you reduce tuition, you have a more educated population, you have more people going to university, and maybe a more educated population with more skills could result in a better society and a higher quality of living. So, I don't know, it's not, it's, I, I don't think it's as cut and dry as uh, some people suggest, but it, it, who knows, it's a complicated issue. Adam, oops. Helps if I turn my microphone on. Adam says... Uh, Yes, but if you get a job while attending school, you're not paying with Canadian dollars. Just like when I go for holidays in Scotland, yes, it's British pounds, but you have to think dollar for dollar. A person making pounds doesn't know $8 a pound for a meal is anything but that. The reason why I mentioned the, the, the comparison, though, is because what if, let's say, for example, you are a Canadian who decides, I'm going to go to Norway 
where tuition is free. I'm going to save up some money and head over there. Well, the costs will be, it is a significantly more expensive country to live. And we also had some texts, people asking about what's the tax burden in Norway. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, taxes in Norway, Norway is indeed one of the most heavily taxed countries in the world with a total tax burden of roughly 45% of GDP. So that's almost four times Hong Kong, nearly twice U.S., Canada. Uh, I'm just doing some quick Google foo here. So this is uh, just uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Canada's tax burden is 32.2% as of GDP. So we're not as bad as Norway. And just looking at some other, I see Denmark is 50.8%. France is 47.9%. So a lot of European countries, the tax burden is significant. Mm -hmm. So there is a cost associated to these things to have free tuition. That's, yeah, it's great, but it it, it means that the, the population is very heavily taxed to the point where they're, they can't even afford to, to eat and drink in their own country. They're leaving the board, the Norway to go to cheaper countries to get beer. They're, yeah, really at the end of the day, you know, we talk about free health care in Canada or free tuition. Well, there is no such thing as free. It's all taxed. And, um, but it's a balancing act. Maybe some people are okay if there's high taxes, but it pays. Uh, it's a welfare state. Uh, maybe some people are okay with that. Um, I, I suspect that idea wouldn't fly in, in Canada and certainly not in the U.S., But, you know, it's a European Nordic mentality, so culture difference. And one final text here. How many, and this is, we're talking about, let's say, if we did this here, first year was free. How many kids go one year and drop out? If my taxes are funding that, I want to get a return on my investment, as in the kid getting a degree and using it. Dave says rent is much different from here. In February, my rent goes up to $990 for a two-bedroom. That's for a two-bedroom, Dave. The prices that we gave were, in, in Norway, a one-bedroom apartment in 2015 ranged from 1000 bucks Canadian to $1,300. My one-bedroom apartment is 750 bucks with parking. It's, uh, it's a comfy spot. It's cozy. It's a it's nice comfy. little spot, yes. Uh, we're going to come up to Global News at 3 o'clock. At 3.30, we'll tell you about Skip the Dishes, getting ready for beer and wine delivery in Winnipeg. Tristan Field-Jones has Global News at 3 o'clock for you. Up next. Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling with Brett McGarry on this Tuesday afternoon. Brett, a uh, bit of an announcement that uh, I think went a little bit under the radar. It's pretty significant, though. In fact... It's so large, it's twice the size of Nova Scotia. Really? A new marine conservation area has been announced uh, for the Lancaster Sound area. That's in Baffin Bay. 109,000 square kilometers in size. It's the largest protected area in Canada and over twice the size of Nova Scotia. The Inuit translation, by the way, of Lancaster Sound is Talurutup Imunga. Oh, good for you for trying that, Tristan. There's a pronouncer there for me, so uh, that's, still, that made everything neat. Still, even with the pronouncers sometimes, uh, it's a little bit tough. Uh, Baffin Bay, an area, by the way, between Nunavut and Greenland. Uh, significant. Wow, that is, a, that is a very large area. So we have uh, Lisa McLaughlin from the uh, Nature Conservancy of Canada joining us now. Lisa, uh, first of all, the size is immense. Why is this such a large conservation area? Yes, this is quite a significant achievement for marine conservation in Canada. Um, the size has been something that has been under study for almost 30 years, scientists and the 
communities in the Arctic have been looking at this area and and have determined that it is a zone of um, some of the most important biological and productive areas in the Arctic, and they uh, really wanted this entire area protected to maintain that biodiversity. So, uh, Lisa, first of all, did we pronounce your name correctly? Is it McLaughlin? Yes, that's right. Okay, we were we were uncertain off the air, so Tristan, you win a Coke. But um, <laughs> we, I want to know... Why? I mean, this is an area that's 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 a long way away from from where we are here in Winnipeg. So why should somebody who's just coming home from work right now working in Winnipeg, why should this person listening to the radio station? And I don't say this to be flippant, but this is why we talk to you, because these are important things. But we're not the experts on this. You are. So why should we be paying attention to this? Why should we care? Mm hmm. Well, I think we can start with the fact that some of the the mammals and and the bird life and sea life that we're protecting with this marine protected area only really occur in this part of the world. So Canada has a unique responsibility, but also a unique opportunity to help protect them. There are um, three quarters of the world's narwhal um, migrate through this area and use it as a nursery for their young. Twenty percent of the world's beluga. It is the home to bowhead whales and walruses and polar bears and many of the iconic species that people identify with Canada, but that also are um, of cultural significance to the Inuit people and really are only found in this part of the world. So we, we do have this unique responsibility, but also this region of the Arctic um, is so productive for uh, fisheries as well as for bird life that um, we we are able to do something here that we really can't do anywhere else in the world. So when it comes to uh, protecting areas in Canada, what is our ultimate goal here? Because I know over the last little while we've heard more and more areas are being designated as these conservation zones. And ultimately, what is Canada's goal, uh, especially when it comes to uh, our, our, our coastal waters, when for protecting this wildlife and importantly why is this so urgent to do well canada is a signatory to the convention on biodiversity and all the countries that have signed on to that convention have committed to protecting 17 percent of the terrestrial and inland waters and 10 percent of their marine environments and so for canada we still have a long way to go to reach those targets we're only just over 10 percent terrestrially terrestrial land protection and now, with the protection of Lancaster Sound, we are just over 3% marine. So for a country as large as Canada, we have uh, still some work to do to be able to reach those international targets. How has this uh, Memorandum of Understanding been reached? What, happened, what needed to happen to, uh, to put this in place? Well, the, the establishment of, of Lancaster Sound is a long time coming. It has, uh, like I mentioned, been, been under consideration for almost 30 years, and it has been um, driven in part by Parks Canada, but also by the communities that live in the Arctic. Um, and so it has only been within the, the last year, the Nature Conservancy of Canada was able to negotiate with Shell Canada the release of... Um, around 2 million acres of oil and gas permits. And it is these permits that had been the last barrier in being able to establish the marine protected area. So once the Nature Conservancy of Canada was able to uh, release those permits to the federal government, they were extinguished. And then the process was be able to continue to establish these boundaries. 
What was it like negotiating with, uh, I believe it was Shell Canada here who had, who released the permits. What was it like negotiating with a major uh, company who has a vested interest in exploring these areas and trying to convince them that, hey, we've got, we might have uh, a, a, a bigger picture issue here. I mean, that must have been some delicate work needed to uh, set up uh, those talks. Well, Nature Conservancy of Canada and Shell Canada have actually had a very long relationship, very um, collaborative one over the last 30 years. So, in fact, Shell Canada was able to reach out to the Nature Conservancy of Canada and, and raise this to our attention. And that um, together we were both looking for a way to find a solution here. And they also knew that we had a strong relationship with the federal government. And so we were able to play a bit of a matchmaker role and facilitate those transfers. So in fact, it was actually quite a collaborative undertaking that went relatively smoothly. The, when you were describing the various species that inhabit this part of the world, it almost sounds like a little uh, marine utopia. Isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And there's so many that I, I didn't even mention. Um, in fact, um, Arctic cod and, and millions, literally millions of seabirds. And so that is part of the excitement here is that this is a really sensitive and special area that is now going to be protected. Are there any plans in the future uh, to turn this into an, an area for ecotourism? I know that part, part of the reason why a lot of people here in Manitoba go to Churchill is for that uh, environmental and ecological um, uh, trip, if you will, and of course to see the polar bears. But is there any talks about turning this into an ecotourist destination? Well, already tourists are, are able to travel to Pond Inlet and the other communities in the Arctic to be able to explore those regions. Um, under this type of marine protected area, it's a national marine conservation area, there will still be boat traffic that will travel in this region. And as the climate is changing, we're seeing changes in, in the pack ice uh, in that region. And so there is an expectation that there will likely be additional boat traffic in that region. So I think it's hard to, to say, but a part of the the process of establishing the marine protected area is looking at the management of that area over time and that will be established with Parks Canada over the next few years. Alrighty, Lisa McLaughlin, Vice President of Conservation for the Nature Conservancy of Canada. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It is 3.15 on 680 CJOB. We still have stuff to give away. We will do that soon. you got to wait for your cue to call. In fact, I'm going to block the lines right now and we will do that after we look at traffic and weather up next, Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling this week, at least for the next couple of days. And Hal Anderson takes over on Thursday and Friday as well as Monday. And we do have some stuff to give away. I just got to cue the music up to a specific point in this video. Oh, let's see if this is the right spot. Oh, there it is. Some rich Springfield. A song called Affair of the Heart. Today's question. Oh, by the way, why are we giving away Rick Springfield stuff? That I should probably say that. He's coming to the city next week, August 30th, Wednesday, August 30th, Burton Cummings Theatre. And the question I have for you today, and a Rick Springfield fan should know the answer to this instantaneously. Oh, hang on. Got to turn it up for the... <laughs> Forgot how much I used to like Rick Springfield when I was younger. 
This was uh, would have been around when I was like six years old, I think, in 1983. Were you a Rick Springfield fan at the age of six? Yeah, because I used to watch things like, like uh, Good Rockin' Tonight. There's been some good rockin' tonight. Okay. And video hits with Sam Taylor. Um, <laughs> what was the question? Oh, yeah. Which character did yeah. Rick Springfield play on which soap opera? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Again, which character did Rick Springfield play on which soap opera? 204-780-6868. That is the number to call. And if you know the answer, then you could be going to see Rick Springfield Wednesday, August 30th at Burton Cummings Theatre. Still to come this afternoon, we are going to speak with Skip the Dishes. They are launching a new service. They're now delivering beer and wine in the city of Winnipeg. So we're going to speak with Skip the Dishes after the 3.30 news. And uh, we've already received a couple of uh, text messages from listeners with some interesting questions. So we will bounce those questions off of Skip the Dishes. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. Well, I know. How did the email exchange go with Skip the Dishes? Was it, hi, Brett, delivering beer and wine? Yes. Uh, Well, there was a little bit more to it than that. I would have said yes, especially to the wine part. You like you like wine? I've never seen you drink wine. Well, I mean, usually we're having spirits, but uh, no, I very much like wine. I don't get I don't get drunk off wine though, because that kind of ruins the whole purpose of it. Have a glass of wine. Well, and and you don't necessarily want to to imbibe a little too much with wine because Mm. uh, I have found I don't do it that often, but I have found that that the next day. A wine hangover, particularly a red wine hangover, can be uh, rather unfriendly. So I try to avoid that at all costs. 204, yeah, I guess if you want to text us at 204-780-6868, if you have any solutions for the wine hangover, <laughs> we can then give those uh, those tips to uh, to Tristan. I don't have wine hangovers, no. I don't get drunk to wine. Oh, that's why I know that's what you're telling us publicly, but... Uh, uh-huh. Coming up to oh, there's certain things I'm going to tell you privately, Breck, that I never say on the air. But anyway, <laughs> we'll have a look at your forecast and sports. Up next, we need to congratulate Kelly Moody today. Kelly Moody is our winner of the Rick Springfield tickets. Rick Springfield coming to Winnipeg next Wednesday, August 30th, at Burton Cummings Theater. Today's question was: Which character did Rick Springfield play on which soap opera? And the answer. As as portrayed in this steamy clip we're about to play, Dr. Noah Drake in General Hospital. Oh. Can I make you some tea? No, thank you. I think I'm going to sit down and rest a little bit, though. That's a good idea. Maybe I'll join you. So erotic. Oh, yuck. <laughs> you want some tea? Yeah, that's from, like, 1981. You think I'm going to sit down when, a bit, when he wink. Was a... <laughs> Why are you taking your pants off? Because it's a soap opera. That's not what happened. He just picked up this woman from the hospital and brought her home. Right. So she was genuinely tired, Tristan. Come on now. Uh, we lay down. Sorry, I've only got a double bed. I mean, what a load of garbage. Good Lord. Sorry. Soap operas are... Stupid. Hey, they're addictive because they're fun. Right? And they're stupid. I watched Young and the Restless for many years. Greg Mackling, too. I think he still might actually watch it. I'm not... I can't... Don't quote me on that, but I'm, I think he still might watch it. I like the exploits. Do we have a legitimate segment coming up yes, here, Brad? Yes, we do. Well, you, be... you, you derailed it there for a I second. I didn't derail anything. Anger. You put a soap opera in there and decide to lower the collective IQ of the room. Wow. So hey, Lots of people like soap operas. Right. Okay? So just... Well, let's leave it at that. We Before we introduce our next guest, 
Uh, we need to thank Casey who texted us. We mentioned about the wine hangover, and I said, if you have a solution for it. So Casey says, red wine hangovers are due to the tannins in the red grapes. These dehydrate you. Awful hangover because the fluid around the brain acts as a cushion and is lessened. So this causes a massive headache. So drink water, 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 especially while drinking red wine and especially the day after. Lol. Joining us now. Very informative. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Why are we talking about wine hangovers? Well, because our friends at Skip the Dishes uh, are joining us now and they are going to be adding booze to the growing list of options that Winnipeg can order. Skip the Dishes, the app-based service that allows users to scroll through menus from participating restaurants, pubs and stores, have and have their orders delivered to their door, launching a pilot project in Winnipeg that will also allow users to have beer, wine, and spirits delivered. Uh, delivery will be... Actually, you know what? Before I continue, I just want to make sure I got that right. Our guest is Kendall Bishop, who is Marketing Director for Skip the Dishes. Kendall, thank you for joining us. Is it, in fact, beer, wine, and spirits? You got it. Yep, everything from, you know, our local fine wine stores to some local microbreweries um, and then hotel vendors as well. So, uh, you know, so Winnipeggers could still enjoy some of their old, their old standby favorites. So how long has this particular pilot project been in the works? Well, we've had our users asking for it for years now, um, asking to be able to get some of their favorite uh, favorite beverages delivered alongside their meals with skips. So um, it's definitely been tossed around for a while, but we've really decided to crack down and dig in and in the past few months and, you know, start working with MLCC and the government and make sure, you know, all of our, uh, our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed so that we can, we can roll it up successfully. Which, uh, what, what liquor vendors will you be working with? Are we talking about the MLCC or are we looking at independent stores? Currently, we're working with about 13 local independents with more being added every day. Can you name some of those stores that might be involved? Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, on the fine wine front, we have DeLuca Fine Wines, Calabria, Element, uh, Wine and Spirits, Keniston Wine Market, uh, and others for some of our, you know, microbrewery, craft brewery, local brews. Um, we have Little Brown Drug, Little Brown Jug, Element Wine, or uh, sorry, Shrugging Doctor, Fort Gary, of course, Half Pine, um, and Torque Brewing. And then we have some, some local hotels uh, whose off-sales we're also delivering from, so you'll be able to get uh, some of the big brands as well. Will you need to be ordering food or can you just use Skip the Dishes to have, if I want to, if I need a slate of uh, Woody Belgian from Torque Brewing and I, can I just call upon Skip the Dishes to make that happen? You got it. So um, all of these vendors and independent stores are available on our network like a, like a regular restaurant would be. So you would just go in, you know, type in your address, filter for beer, wine or alcohol, and then be able to see which stores deliver directly to you. Now, Kendall, we do have a couple of serious questions that we need to ask you on this. Uh, one of the one of them uh, is from a listener who who came up with actually, I think, uh, an important question is: Do you has there been any sort of thought put into the potential of delivery people getting robbed for their wine or their beer? Well, one of the things that, uh, of course, for us is always always has always been important is the safety of you know all of the stakeholders in our network but couriers in particular so um, one element that we have worked into this process is that uh, beer and wine deliveries can be paid only online so there will be no you know no opportunity for cash exchange or, or lack thereof but what about the, the what about the the, the alcohol itself 
You know what? I think for us, we're treating these orders sort of as business as usual, just like with any other orders that our couriers would deliver. Um, so, of course, safety is always at the forefront um, of, of all of our, our deliveries and our business as a whole. But, um, you know, we're we sort of ensure that we try and ensure that safety, whether it's alcohol or a burger or a steak or whatever that item might be that's being delivered. Now, another question that we do need to ask uh, is, is there... Is this is there any fear that this could make it easier for people with addiction issues to get easier access to alcohol? They don't even have to leave their home to get it. It can now come to them. Mm-hmm. We, you know what, one thing, and as I kind of touched on it a bit earlier, but of course these are all things um, that that have been talked about and that have been considered, and that's why it's taken us, you know, until now to be able to successfully roll this out. Is we, you know, we spent the past few months working really diligently with the MLCC and with the Manitoba government just to make sure that you know all our checks and balances are in place, and to make sure that this is a positive experience, you know, both for for us and the vendors and the the, the users, but also like the city as a whole. So, um, yeah, we're we're definitely paying attention to stuff like that. And it's also worth noting as well that this is only available between 11 a.m. and 9 p.m. So if you've uh, had one too many at 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, you can't call upon Skip the Dishes to bring you another bottle of uh, whatever it is that you're looking for. You got it. Yeah, currently we deliver from 11 a.m. till 9 p.m. Well, I think it's great, um, and I, you know, I th- it's just a, it's another sign of the uh, the great innovation that uh, Skip the Dishes has been uh, a market leader for for the past few years. So, uh, thank you for joining us to tell us about this, Kendall. Yeah, you got it. It's exciting stuff, and uh, hopefully, you guys will get the chance to give it a try. All right, Kendall Bishop is the marketing director for Skip the Dishes. Once again, today they have announced that they are launching a pilot project that will allow you in Winnipeg to order through Skip the Dishes beer, fine wines, and spirits through a number of partners like DeLuca Fine Wines, Fort Gary Brewing, Element Fine Wines and Spirits, and others like she mentioned, Half Pints Brewing, uh, Torque Brewing, and more. More details at Skip the Dishes, and we will get details on what's coming up on the news from 4 until 7 with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham after traffic and weather, which is in two minutes. Brett McGarry with Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Greg Mackling while Greg enjoys a long-deserved and hard-earned vacation. Julie Buckingham sliding into the studio. Tell us what's coming up on the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Hello there, Julie. Hello, gentlemen. A new app that is garnering a warning from the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. So Mm -hmm. news you can use when you're talking with your kids about some of the apps that they have on their phones. You're saying that this one, well, is designed to send, quote-unquote, constructive criticism. Oh, no. I can already see how this thing's derailed. Yes. So details on that app. As well, we're hearing about... The ceremony held in Ottawa today with the Prime Minister marking the 75th anniversary of the Dieppe raid. But do you really know what happened at Dieppe? I'll speak to a historian about Mm -hmm. that raid and why it cost Canada so dearly. The case for the Neverville MRI from one of the key people in that community will join us in studio after 4.30. And later in the program after the 5.30 news, you're going to meet three first-year med students Uh, She is Métis, spent the year volunteering in Africa. He is a farmer turned medical school. um, He's got a great story. He survived a medical episode at age 12. 
And do you remember the show Doogie Howser? Doogie Howser, MD. Of course I do. Neil Patrick Harris. This kid is 19 and starting med school. He wow. already has his Bachelor of Science. Wow. Jeez. And what have you done today? I got up successfully. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, Plus, I, I, I your to chance work. to win tickets to see Shania Twain in concert in May. Oh, how did that video thing turn out yesterday? Oh, we had a very cute video winner. Uh, lady is posted on her 680 CJOB Facebook page, doing a little Shania karaoke, getting much love from her dog, who licked her face the entire time she was singing, pretty <laughs> and, much. And today we play Twain versus Twain. Oh. A literary... Uh, ah! We will who get, said it? Yeah. Shania Twain or Mark Twain? I think somebody will say all of these quotes very eloquently for us. That's very creative. I look forward to hearing some of that. I had nothing to do with that one. Really? This was all Richard? Are you a big Mark Twain fan, Rich? Or a big Shania Twain fan? I am a fan of both. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's really, your contests really are some of the most unique and creative well, out there, you. I must say. Thank well, we'll get on TFJ. that app and start saying nice things about yeah. you. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> no constructive Rich- criticism for you on that app. Oh, okay. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, thank you very much. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Twain versus Twain. Oddly enough, one of the videos that was sent to Julie yesterday on that uh, was a group of five young ladies who were all singing and dancing. It looked like it was at someone's cottage or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them was was Randy Parker from the from the morning down the hall at Power oh, 97. Really? Phil, Joe, and and Randy. What is she trying to do? Is she just trying to sneak well, around? And, and she was, She didn't send the video. Okay. One of her friends sent the video. So it was just, uh, but it was a solid performance all around. I'm sure it was. I still I think we might have. have Did to you have, not see it? I worked. No, I, I didn't see it actually. Oh. I was I was looking for some of the video submissions, but interesting though. I it's it's always neat trying to see. Uh, I know we live in this sort of America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent era, but it is genuinely n- neat and refreshing to see when people have, you know, true talent and and actual skills that you may not have heard of, uh, to see them perform that and. Uh, it's even better when you see them become successful at what they do. Do you have any hidden talents, Tristan? Probably not. Yeah. Well, if they were, if I have hidden talents, uh, if you I want to keep them hidden, exactly. Okay. He wants to remain an international man of mystery. No, I really don't. That's all. I'm the not time. a man of mystery. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Tristan Field Jones, Jeff Forte, and Master Control, and Savannah Pierce before him. Thank you very much, and thank you, the listener of 680 CJOB, for all of your feedback at 204 780 6868. You can email us anytime, Brett at CJOB.com, Tristan at CJOB.com. The news of Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham is coming up next. And then don't forget about Charles Adler tonight from 9 until midnight on 680 CJOB.